Welcome to the Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters podcast. Here you'll find a safe space to learn and grow with leaders in education, disability studies, disability advocacy, and diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. Specifically, we look at how disability fits into diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how to frame disability awareness in the context of educating K-12 communities. This podcast serves educators, parents, and community members who strive to learn and or teach about disability in a research-based and respectful way, moving beyond simple awareness and diving into inclusive and socially responsive conversations. Thank you for joining us today. Now let's go Beyond Awareness. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters. Today, I'm so excited to have Tony Saya, Dr. Tony Saya, here with us. I am privileged to be able to work with her and learn from her and to be able to call her a friend. And um, we're going to have a really wonderful discussion today on the topic of inspiration porn. And before we start, I'd like for you, Tony, welcome. I'd like for you to go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell about who you are, what you're passionate about, and um, what makes you want to talk about this today. Thank you so much, Diana. I'm so happy to be here. Hello, everyone. As Diana mentioned, I'm Dr. Tony Saya. I'm an assistant professor at San Diego State University in the Department of Administration, Rehabilitation and Post-Secondary Education. And I'm also the director of the Rehabilitation Technology Certificate. I am a disabled woman. I am a wheelchair user. Um, much of my work in the applied fields has been bringing an understanding of disability that is more progressive and is more about disability as a culture and identity and really centering the lived experience. Um, so moving beyond a diagnosis to disability as a culture and identity. And so um, that is really tough work to do in a world that um, likes to limit our understanding of the disability experience to just purely uh, diagnosis. So I'm really excited to be in conversations that um, move us one step closer to a more uh, a deeper understanding of the disability experience, because I think there's a lot more to it than what we are being sold in society. And so I always like to start these conversations with a great quote by uh, a great activist, Stella Young, disabled activist, who always says, um, disability doesn't make you exceptional, but examining what you think you know about it does. And that's why I like to be in these type of conversations because I think we all get tons of information about disability, right? And we think we know many things, but my question is, are they coming from the disability community? And I think all of us, whether we're in the disability community or not, we're educators, professionals, we have to continually examine what we think we know so we can move forward and do a better job of understanding the depth of the disability experience. Thank you, Tony. And I will put a link to Stella Young's TED Talk I'm not your inspiration. Thank you very much. I believe is the title of her TED talk. I'll make sure that that link goes in the show notes. Thank you for bringing her up because she's definitely somebody we want to highlight here today. So to get us started, 
So often we as educators and families and people who want to be sensitive and supportive and who want to make the world a kinder, gentler, more inclusive place. And as people who want to be as inclusive as possible as educators, not only educators, but also as community members and within our diversity, equity, and inclusion endeavors or DEI work, we often do latch on to content such as stories or memes or videos um, that make us feel good about disability, that give us goosebumps, you know, that make us feel warm and fuzzy on the inside um, in some way or another. And we may not be aware that by participating in what is termed as inspiration porn, we may be actually playing into ableist thinking. And then the worst part to me is that then we spread it to our friends and our colleagues on social media, but even worse is that we let it trickle down to our students and what we're trying to teach them through disability awareness, which should be focused in a completely other direction. So Tony, I would like for you to get us started with a definition or what is inspiration porn for those who have not heard of that before. So again, I, you know, I would be remiss not to mention the great Stella Young who made her career on, on kind of defining this term. And the way Stella defined it is the, you know, objectifying disabled people for the benefit of non-disabled people, people without disabilities. And so Diana, one thing that struck me when you were speaking, right, you said um, they, they, these images, they make us feel warm and fuzzy. But my question is, who do they make feel warm and fuzzy? And often that answer is um, the non-disabled people, the, um, the people that are outside of the disability community. Yes. They're not warm and fuzzy messages to the, the disability community. And these messages, and I'm sure you've seen them, memes that say, um, your excuse is invalid. And they'll show a, a person with a physical disability, right? Um, and that's to send the message that if this person with said impairment can do this, um, then so can you. So that already sets this uh, hierarchy um, that, that positions disabled people lower, right? The expectation is, well, th that would be so difficult for them. So if they can do it, so can you. We've also seen this in the media a lot, especially around prom season. So we just got over prom season or around, you know, homecoming season. So that'll be coming up soon where you see, um, you know, classmate takes person with Down syndrome to prom. My first question is, would that be a story in the news or an article or on social media if there was no disabled person involved? Probably not because going to prom and homecoming is a pretty mundane activity. But in this case, right, of that headline, we're framing the, dis the non-disabled person as like this, this kind individual that took this disabled person to prom, which then positions us as disabled people as less than, not worthy of being prom dates. So we need other people to take us to prom. And uh, so we're positioned as like acts of kindness, right? Um, and the idea is, right, that we're not, we're not valued, right? So 
if you take us to prom, you must be a great individual, right? Um, and the problem with these is, first of all, that reinforces a lot of stereotypes within the community. But the other issue is it frames disability in a very simplistic manner that is, that again, is rooted in misconceptions and stereotypes. And it really doesn't get at the systemic barriers that disabled people face day in and day out, right? It just frames these simple, these simple messages. Yeah, and I love that example, Tony. And I know that there are people who are listening who are thinking, but if that person, if that non-disabled student had not invited the disabled student to the homecoming um, dance or the or to the prom, then they would have missed out on that opportunity. So what's wrong with that? And I think that where we go wrong is when we make this a when we forget that the reason that they wouldn't have gone to prom or that the reason they wouldn't have gone to homecoming is because of systemic ableism, because of stereotypes, because of lack of inclusivity within our school systems. Yeah, I think it's also because if they're not going to prom, first of all, I want to say, Diana, we don't really know if they wouldn't go to prom. Maybe they do have other, you know, options. But if they don't, right, it's probably due to a lot of also internal devaluing. We get a lot of messages mm. as disabled people that we are not worthy, we are not attractive, we are not the ones that people want to take to prom. Um, and the, the problem is, right, there is nothing wrong with somebody wanting to go to prom with a disabled person, right? There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is that when we're expecting a good deed out of that, because right. then that is a devaluing of one person to make another person look better. And, mm -hmm. and again, the expectation is, well, if we didn't have a non-disabled savior, like a non-disabled student to take us to the prom, then, you know, we, we wouldn't have that opportunity. Um, and I think it's, it's really important that to recognize that that perpetuates um, that um, living without a disability as non-disabled is preferred. Um, and then again, it, it harms the disability community um, and it invalidates the disability experience. The other thing I think is important to, to question is why is this a news story? If you wanna take a non-disabled person to prom, I mean, if you wanna, I'm sorry, if you wanna take a disabled person to prom, why does that become a news story? And again, if you took disability out of it, that wouldn't be a story. Um, every time teenagers go to prom, do we see it in the news? I mean, not that I, not that I'm aware of, right? We might see like one, you know, one big, um, you know, newspaper article on, you know, prom season, but it's not singled out like that. So I think that that's the problem, and it's and that storyline, right, is for the benefit of non-disabled people and to feel good about themselves. Like, look what we're doing for this community that we're devaluing and we're pitying. So now we're gonna take them to prom. So what are some other ways that, or, or do you have some other examples? I know you said your excuse is invalid, which is a real popular one. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the prom, 
Are there some other examples that you can think of? That- yes, I'm sure you've seen um, these memes that say uh, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Okay, and this, and they often, again, they'll have this meme on social media, and then they'll try to display um, disability in terms of a physical impairment. Um, so, you know, maybe a wheelchair user, and then this text will come, you know, over it. And then again, it says the only disability in life is a bad attitude. But again, um, to, to quote Stella Young again, and it, uh, Diana will link the video, right? No amount of positive attitude is going to turn books into, into Braille. And I think at that, or, you know, a stairs into a ramp. And I think those examples and why I wanted to take Stella Young's example specifically is because they're so, they're so clear that in that example, we, we, when we frame it as only as a bad attitude, we, we are neglecting the systemic barriers that disabled people face, right? Because again, you, you could be the most positive person in the world, but as a disabled person in 2022, you are still mingling in a world that wasn't designed for you. And that could be physically, attitudinally, um, all, there's all types of barriers. And when we limit to our understanding of the disability experience to the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Not only are we invalidating the disability experience, but we're also ignoring systemic injustices. And, and the truth is that attitude, yeah, it's important to be positive and yeah, you, you don't want to walk around negative all the time, but that has really nothing to do with the disability experience. Everybody, regardless of disability, is going to have days where their attitude fluctuates. And so when you frame this, again, it, it positions non-disabled people to see disability as tragic and, and to say, well, we also see it in these messages of like, it could be worse, right? When somebody shares their their experiences and we frame things in the in the framework of it could be worse we're basically saying that the lives of disabled people well at least we're not that right so again we're positioning them lower um and so let me give you an example of inspiration porn in in daily life as a wheelchair user so the other you know a couple months ago i was in the grocery store as a wheelchair user right doing my thing, just going to the grocery store, right? Which all of you listening have probably gone to the grocery store after work, right? It's a pretty mundane activity. So I'm rolling down the aisles, minding my own business, and I'm in the can aisle, and I'm, you know, reaching up to grab a can of peas, and somebody walks by and says, you're so inspirational. So on face value, that seems like a very positive, happy, well-intentioned comment. And while it was probably well-intentioned, it also sends the message that they really weren't expecting somebody like me to grab a can of peas. And the thing is, right, and this is what I always tell my students, right, because whenever I talk about inspiration porn, uh, my students always say, so are you telling me that disabled people can't be inspirational? And no, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm asking you to think about the activity 
that you are labeling inspiration. And the reason why I'm saying this in relation to the story is me grabbing a can of peas at the grocery store at 6 p.m. After, after work is not inspirational. I don't know about all of you, but if you go to the grocery store, are people cheering you on? No. And the reason that is for, for you that that's not happening is because they're expecting you to do it. But for the disability community, our expectations are so much lower that grabbing a can of peas is all of a sudden inspirational. So what I want you to think about before using this term inspirational, I want you to think about what activity are you naming inspirational? And if you took disability out of it, would this activity still be inspirational? That's and that's question. kind of my question because, yeah. and that's what I want you to think about. I don't want you to, to take away from this conversation, oh, disabled people can never be inspirational, right? That's not the case. Disabled people do inspirational things all the time, but are worthy of that word. I will say in the disability community, the kind of the term inspiration, we try to stay away from it because it has so many ne negative connotations coming from non-disabled people. But I'm inspired by other disabled women all the time, right? They represent my experience and I am very impressed, but I look at what, what is it that they're doing? It's not mundane activities that we're just not expecting disabled people to do. What you said was perfect. Thank you, Tony. I loved it. Thank you. I think we all need to hear that. And I love the metric that you used. That's a great way for us to measure whether what we're saying is based in a respectful way of holding disability and double checking ourselves to see if what we're thinking, what we're saying is based in ableism. Do you have a burning desire to have a more equitable and inclusive school culture? Are you a person who understands the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion work in schools? But when it comes to disability, you're just not sure you know the right things to say and do. Maybe you're a special education teacher or a general education teacher, a specialist or an administrator, and you may know a lot about disabilities, but not necessarily about the experience of being disabled by society. You're interested in disability awareness that will actually make a difference, but you feel stuck. Maybe you're still experiencing a lack of guidance and lack of research-based disability awareness materials or strategies. Maybe you're seeing segregation on your campus and a lack of belonging for all students. Maybe you feel frustrated due to resistance to inclusion. And you're afraid that you're not qualified to lead the charge for disability inclusion in your DEI work. You know there's got to be a better way, but you're not sure what it is. If this is you, then I have a couple things that might be helpful to you. First off, I invite you to take advantage of my free resource called The Five Keys to Going Beyond Awareness. All you have to do is go to gobeyondawareness.com keys, and I'll send you my important tips for starting your journey toward a more inclusive school culture. And if you've already started the journey and are wanting more to keep you grounded and moving forward in disability awareness that is based in dignity, respect, and research, then head over to 
gobeyondawareness.com and sign up for my compact digital Beyond Awareness course filled with valuable information and resources. In it, you'll learn the foundations of disability awareness strategies that align with research so you can feel confident in your diversity, equity, access, inclusion, belonging, and disability awareness endeavors. Again, just head on over to gobeyondawareness.com. How does this thinking that, you know, having people inspire us based solely on their disability and not on something else, you know, based on getting a can of peas at the store at 6 p.m., like you said, as a person with a disability, how does this thinking affect people with disabilities and the disability experience on the daily, you know, and, and how does it, how does it affect the lives of the disabled community as a whole? I think that that's a great question. I think, again, those experience continually frame disability in a very um, simplistic way, and that ignores the injustices that we may face every day, the, the attitudinal barriers, the physical barriers, um, that, that simplifies it to a point that it, it, it gets to invalidating. So it can be very invalidating to somebody's um, identity and experience. The other thing I would think, uh, I want all of you to think about as listeners, I mean, could you imagine if you're going to the store, right? Because I just shared a very isolated incident, but this, this happens frequently. So could you imagine if you were just going about your day and constantly people are just like, you're so inspirational, you're so inspirational, you're so inspirational. How would you feel that, I mean, it's, and so it sends me the message that, you know, first of all, A, I don't exist as a disabled woman to inspire others, right? I exist to do my own thing and to um, make my own moves in this world, right? I, I shouldn't, my body, shouldn't just be a constant reminder that things could be worse. And that's kind of tied to um, a previous comment that I share, right? My, I should be valued for all the other contributions I bring to this world. It shouldn't be simplified to me getting a can of peas at the grocery store. And so I think that it limits our understanding of the value and the assets of the disability community when we're constantly framing them as inspirational for doing mundane activities. That's the, that's, that's the problem. Um, that's, that's the real problem. Um, and I think, again, it comes for a lot of, it comes from a couple of things for me. I think one, it comes from a devaluing of disabled people. So we're not expecting them. So whatever they do is inspirational because we're not, we already devalue them. The other thing I think it comes from is lowered expectations. Whether we intentionally or unintentionally are doing this, we as a society have lowered expectations for disabled people. I remember when I moved across country. So my, I'm from New York and I moved um, to go to um, school. I moved across country about 3000 miles away to go to Arizona. And yeah, was that difficult? Absolutely. I was the first time I was away from home and I was going 3000 miles away. But I remember people um, talking about and sharing with my family. Um, she's so inspirational for going that far away, you know, from home for for school. Right. 
And it's like, but people go away to school all the time and it's not inspirational, but, but because the expectation that me as a wheelchair user is doing this, I mean, it's, it's not expected. So then we frame it as inspirational instead of the fact that I'm a first generation college student. That, that is very inspirational that I was able to, to go, right? Because my family didn't, didn't have those opportunities, right? That should be the in inspirational piece of it. But instead it was, she's so inspirational for going 3000 miles away to school be because she's disabled. Yeah, and in, in, in our mind, inherently because you are disabled, you don't have that ability or shouldn't have that opportunity as opposed to it's extraordinary that she is doing this because we have created a community, a society where everybody's included, um, which we haven't yet. And there's still so many barriers. But what I'm trying to say is that people are quick to exclude that possibility for people with disabilities and not quick to look at what the barriers are for people being successful in doing those kinds of activities that everybody's doing. Yes. Yeah. And I will tell you, was college difficult for me? Absolutely. But not because I am a disabled woman as an identity, but because of the barriers that I faced as a disabled wheelchair user. And I'm just um, saying that because with a physical impairment, the barriers are often structural, right? Not having um, access to, to all the spaces, not every place is having ramps or curb cuts, right? And this is in 2022, 32 years after the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? And I guess when I went to college, it was, um, but, but these barriers still exist, whether I'm in college or whether I'm in um, society today. So I think it's really important um, to think about. And I think again, when we when we frame disabled people as you know, as they got to go to prom, that's very limiting to our experience. So I, I think that one thing I, I would think about is, first of all, as educators, where are you getting your information about disability from? Um, because a lot of the stories that are out there in the media and on social media, more often than not are from a non-disabled perspective, just talking about disability, right? And so that really limits the perspective because let me tell you something, knowledge about disability and the lived experience are two different things. You can be an expert in, in this or that, or you could be the best special education teacher or the best educator on the planet, but that does not mean um, that that's the same thing as the lived experience. The lived experience brings a nuance and understanding to the disability experience that when non-disabled people continue to write about disability, they miss the boat. Yeah. Yeah. I always say I got my master's in special education and I knew a lot about disabilities but it wasn't, and but it was when I started learning about the experience of disability that my world was upended. And when I realized that we needed to change our focus, that there were other things that we needed to be focused on that were related to societal barriers and ableism and start focusing on how we can create access and equity in our school systems. 
and in our communities in general. Yeah. And I, I think just one other example that we see frequently is a lot with children. So you'll see these things like child walks for the first time, right? Mm, yes. um, or child hears for the first time. And what that sends the message to the disability community is that we're not okay as is and unless we're achieving these things. And I'll be honest, we have such a fixation on walking and that's the least of my concern as a wheelchair user. I, I, I don't, I care so much less about walking than I do about, can I access a space? Can I fully participate? And I think again, when we send these messages and we inspirationalize like child walks for the first time, it sends the message that disabled people are kind of sitting home just waiting to walk for the first time. And that might be true for some folks, but again, when we laser in on these stories, we make a lot of overgeneralizations about yes. the largest growing minority group that you could age into at any point in the United States. So the thing is, is that I won't take away somebody's story, but I think when we use those stories to overgeneralize to an entire population, that is a problem because the disability experience is not a monolith, right? We all experience it very differently. And so when we, when we send these messages, um, again, that might send the message to people that me as a wheelchair user, I can't live my life because I'm just, you know, um, waiting to walk. And there's a whole lot more I would, I would uh, worry about in society before walking. And I think that that's an important message to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. So what are some alternatives? What are some things that in schools that students should be hearing that students should be knowing? Yeah. So first of all, in schools, we got to talk about disability. We got, it had, it doesn't get enough attention like other aspects of diversity do. We, we don't talk about it. And if we do, it's very heavy on the diagnosis. And a diagnosis is one piece of the, you know, the experience, but it's not the whole thing. And so we gotta, we gotta, first of all, we gotta talk about it. And we gotta talk about it in a nuanced way from the perspectives of the disability community. We gotta, we gotta seek ways to bring in a disabled narratives, disabled experience, videos. We have, we have to do it because it's, it's missing. We have to understand the importance of how we talk about disability. Those are things I think away, that chip away at these larger misconceptions about the disability experience. If, if we're not talking about it, we send children a message very early on that disability is tragic and pitiful and it's taboo. So then you can imagine as they grow up, and then they enter my classroom as, as graduate students, they have a lot of, and this is not every student, right? I'm talking systemically. They have a lot of misconceptions about the disability experience because it wasn't talked about. Even me as a disabled person, right? I did not come out of the womb with a disability culture and a disability history book. I had to seek that out. Um, and I think that in 2022, that's a problem. I think us as educators have to find ways that we bring disability culture and disability as a diversity into the classroom. Do your books um, naturally infuse disability? Are there characters 
with disabilities. Um, and not everything has to be a lesson, but we have to have the information available. I remember when I was in school, I didn't see any characters or any representation um, of, of, of myself as a wheelchair user. I actually just had a conversation with someone and we were talking about our um, school experiences and I was mainstreamed into general education, but they asked me, but what was your disability experience like? And I said, I was like a like I was just an accommodation. People were just talking about me in terms of my diagnosis. They didn't see the value that I brought as a disabled person. They just talked about my disability as something that was my diagnosis. And so of course, I internalized that and I didn't see my disability as part of my identity because for so often that wasn't talked about. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember people saying, I don't see you as disabled, which is another example, right? That sounds like a compliment to most of you, right? You might be thinking, well, that's, that's really nice. But that's only if you inherently believe that, that disability is a bad thing. Because if you didn't think it was a bad thing, why would you say, I don't see you as disabled? And let me tell you something. People uh, all the time say that to me. I don't see you as disabled. And that is the biggest invalidation to my identity as a disabled woman. Think about other identities that you hold, cultural experiences that you hold. Could you imagine people saying to you, I don't see you as X, whatever that is. Um, and that could be very invalidating. So again, another phrase that seems like a really nice compliment. And, um, you know, I want to be clear that most of this may happen unintentionally, right? You're not paying attention to your, you know, words, or you're not thinking about the ramifications of your words. But now that you know, I want you to be more critical in, in, in what you say and how you talk about disability. Um, because Again, if we didn't think disability was a bad thing, we wouldn't, there would be no storyline. Girl, uh, you know, prom queen brings disabled person a prom. That wouldn't be a storyline because disability wouldn't inherently be a bad thing. They're surprised that I got peas from the can aisle because they are assuming that my situation is so bad. How could she even know she wants peas? <laughs> why would she even want to get out of bed in the morning yeah things huh. like good to see you out right yeah, yeah. that's not a compliment right. right that means that you're not expecting somebody like me somebody that looks like me that my body that would be out yeah so although it might be well-intentioned on your end again i i would think i would encourage you to think about this the difference between intention and impact. And in everything you do for the next couple of weeks, think about your intention and what is the impact. It's kind mm -hmm. of like if you bump into somebody, right? You didn't intend to do it, but you may have you may have hurt them. So it's important to recognize the impact. And the impact of your language and ideas and how you think about disability, what you know, whether you meant it or not, the intention you know, could be very detrimental to the community. And so I think that's an important thing to, to kind of 
keep in mind or when you're questioning, you know, is this ableist thinking? Think in your mind, intent, this is my intention, what's the impact? Um, and I think that that's an important piece. And I see this a lot in education. We look for fun ways to say the word disability without saying the word disability, like differently abled, handy capable, dis and big ability. We, I'm sure we've seen these things. I think it's important if we can't even say the word, it sends messages about who we value and how we position disabled people. And that's how we get to inspiration porn is a subset of this, right? Of how we, how we value the disability community, right? If we can't even say the word and we're coming up with other words, when we mean disability, that sends us a lot of messages. So I think it's important to think about. The goal of this is not to feel bad about yourself and not move forward, right? The goal of this is to just be aware of these topics and, and think about what you can do. And I always say to people, it's important to fail forward. We gotta be doing something um, because if we get so bogged down on, oh, I said this wrong, I didn't do this right. We do, we don't, we're not moving forward. And so we're all guilty of a lot of the things I shared today and we all have to do better, right? Because we're all mingling in a very ableist society and it's all of our jobs to make small, small leaps and for some bigger leaps forward. And so I encourage you all to, to sit with this information and think about some low hanging fruit you can adjust to help, you know, move, move these conversations forward. Dr. Tony Saya, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being with us here today and sharing your wisdom and your insight, your perspective. I really hope people take you up on that and think about, critically think about what we say um, you know, what was the intention versus the impact? Thank you so much, Diana, for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters. If this was helpful to you, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also follow me, Diana, on Instagram at Diana Pastora Carson and on Facebook at facebook.com slash go beyond awareness. Or you can go to my website for more information at dianapastoracarson.com. My books include Beyond Awareness, Bringing Disability into Diversity Work in K-12 Schools and Communities, as well as my children's book, Ed Roberts, Champion of Disability Rights. Both books can be found on Amazon. For your free Beyond Awareness resource called The Five Keys to Going Beyond Awareness, simply go to gobeyondawareness.com slash keys. This podcast transcription and podcast guest information can be found in the show notes. Intro and outro music has been provided courtesy of Emmanuel Castro. Thank you again. Be well, be a lifelong learner, and let's be inclusive. See you next time. Manos arriba, arriba, todas las manos para arriba, que viva la vida, no hay alternativa, arriba, arriba, todas las manos para arriba, que viva la vida, que viva, que viva, que viva.